Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends. So thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to The New Man, Beyond the Macho Jerk and the New Age Wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. Are some guys just born fearless? Does fear keep you stuck or help you live a more passionate life? And are you going for what you want or just trying to prove you're not weak? Neuroscience, meditation, PTSD, pickup artists, ultra swimmers, big wave surfers, MMA fighters, Fear Project author Jamal Yogas is here to share how all of this can help you train your brain to overcome fear. Welcome to The New Man. Today, I am talking to Jamal Yogis. He's the author of The Fear Project, What Our Most Primal Emotion Taught Me About Survival, Success, Surfing, and Love. Jamal, thanks for talking today. Thank you. Let me wrap a little context here. So, I coach guys, and, and the coaching success, it's, it's really about their ability but it's more about their relationship to fear. So, you know, if I had to kind of gauge what's going to determine a success for some guy, it's, it's going to be more about how they handle the fear of success or failure of the unknown rather than, you know, can they, you know, build a website or hire a guy to do this or that. So, um, right. let's, let's talk a bit about so many people, you, you, you talk to so many people, neuroscientists, psychologists, uh, extreme sports athletes, fighters, big wave surfers. I, when I talk to some people, they're like, oh, well, I'm not one of those people, meaning like I'm not one of those crazy people that's fearless. So is it really that there's two camps, that there's, there's those that feel fear and those that don't? No, I don't think that's true at all. I think everybody feels fear. There are uh, people who are more uh, novelty-seeking. They call them high-sensation-seeking personalities in psychology, uh, and they are wired to seek risk more, and, and, and they often are these people who become you know, the big wave surfers or the uh, actors, you know, love being on stage. But uh, the fact is that those people uh, experience uh, fear as well in uh, in the form of, uh, you know, they get the same fear response, adrenaline in the body, faster pulse. Uh, what the difference is, is, is how they react to that and how they frame it. And what you find from uh, successful athletes to successful public speakers is uh, 
that they have really trained themselves to frame their fear in the positive. So uh, as a feeling of being amped or um, psyched or what have you. Um, whereas a lot of people who, um, who I think fear holds back, they, they feel fear and they retreat. They want to, they, they think that's a, sign that they're going to do poorly. And they may have had an experience with that in the past where they were afraid of math and then they bombed the test. And so fear became associated with failure. Um, and for others who maybe were lucky enough to be good athletes or be good at something or just have really supportive parents, they learned to naturally, uh, frame, uh, fear as a, as a positive, some, a reason to go forward and to think this is going to be fun and exciting. And we all have that ability. <clears throat> it's just a matter of how we frame our fears because everybody is getting, uh, <clears throat> I, I think almost everyone, unless you are born with a neurological, uh, uh, difference, um, like you don't have an amygdala, which is very rare. Uh, you, you're feeling some jitters, and uh, it's about how you react to those jitters. It sounds like we're all going down the road, and we all see the same signs, right? Here's a sign, fear. And then, but we, it's just how we choose or how we respond to that that's the difference. It's not necessarily that we have different types of fear. It's just that we respond to it differently. And, and you're saying that we've got different, uh, it's w the way we were raised and within in our memories that inform, hey, I remember I've seen this sign before. This could be cool. Versus, oh my God, I've seen this sign before. Stop. Do not go down that road. Right, exactly. I mean, everything is, is based on experience. And we, we are uh, wired with some fears. You know, some of us fear uh, snakes, some of us don't, and, and some people are born with that. But uh, the basic gist is that we're going through life forming uh, experiences. You know, for me, uh, for example, I was, uh, I, I grew up, um, a pretty shy kid and, uh, we had to move schools a lot cause my dad was in the air force. And so I was again and again plunged into an atmosphere of, uh, here I am at a new school and I don't know anybody and being shy, I would usually just wander around alone. And I, I developed this narrative that I was sort of a loner and an artist and, uh, and this is what artists did and that was cool. <laughs> and, um, but then eventually somebody would befriend me and, uh, and we, you know, and I'd become friends with his crew and then I had a great group of friends and I was, I was one of these shy kids who once I had a good group, I, I could be myself and I, and I opened up and I could be brave and, um, but because, you know, I sort of let other people approach me and that worked out. I developed uh, a personality where I would not approach. Uh, I wasn't the approacher, basically. And I didn't, okay. I, you know, with, with girls, I would sort of play the aloof guy, the mysterious guy. And that, that could work out. You know, we grew, up in a, we grew up in a culture where being aloof and not caring is kind of cool, um, especially, you know, our generation. So that worked out socially for me in high school and stuff. But uh, once I got into the work world, it was like, well, if I'm just going to wait for jobs to come to me, like I'm going to have, I'm not going to be living my dream. That's right. for sure. And it took me a long time to get that 
if I wanted something, I had to go after it. And I had to really reprogram my brain. And that was really a big part of why I wrote this book, because I knew that I needed to be working on this. I needed to give this like 100% of my energy because our fears are, are uh, can be overcome, but they're very deep and they're complicated. And we prioritize uh, fear because in throughout evolution, it's been a survival uh, necessity. So negative experiences get prioritized in the brain. So if you have, you know, an experience of failure or embarrassment from your childhood, that stands out in comparison to uh, those uh, successes you had. Uh, You sort of just, uh, we take those for granted to an extent. And so, we kind of brush them uh, off like, oh, yeah, oh yeah, I, I didn't even remember that. But I remember the one time that that chick said no to me or I remember that one time that those guys ignored me uh, versus the it, countless other times that it went well and it worked out. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've all been, been told, you know, countless great things or, you know, had uh, great experiences uh, at work or with women, but it's that one really embarrassing moment. Uh, for me, the one that stands out is, uh, is this speech I made in college. I, uh, I'd broken up with um, this girl that I was really into, and she happened to be a real activist. <laughs> she was like uh, always on these, like, you know, marching at the, the anti war rally and stuff, and that wasn't really my stick, but. I was, I wanted her back. So I, I decided I was going to make a speech at this big rally, um, at San Francisco state. And I, uh, I basically got up there and I had, and I realized I didn't have anything to say. And I sort of was just a deer in the headlights and this was a rally of thousands of people. Mm. And uh, I said a few things and I just got down, but I mean, I've given every other speech in my life had been, I actually thought of myself as a pretty good public speaker up until that point. And I mean, that experience turned, turned my public speaking around. I started hating it. I feared it and it, and it really stood out. And it wasn't until I started doing this research that I was like, wait a second, like I've got to reframe this and make it into a funny story. Something I joke about because it's, it, it really traumatized me. You you talk a bit about, and, and some of the things that I've read, you talked about like these memories they they change over time and we add stuff to them. They're plastic, like they're malleable in a sense. And and so you're right. talking about like we've got to basically put them in a different frame. And uh, how do we do that? Like I like what you said. Like it, 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 I've seen this too when we don't take ourselves so seriously or we look at ourselves and like instead of like oh my god, there's a I'm so broken and helpless. And we say like oh there's that dumb thing that I do from time to time. Isn't that kind of silly? And I don't know. Right. It seems to it transforms it. Is that what you're saying? I think so. I mean, there's a, there's a study I go into in the book that's a little bit complicated and, and, uh, it's sort of, uh, but it, it is amazing. And the research is incredible. And, uh, it basically proves that our memories are physical things in our brain. And every time that we recall them, uh, we are actually tapping into the synaptic connections of that original memory. So every time I recall that speech, I gave it as a state, um, I'm tapping into that uh, part of my brain and I'm reforming that memory. So if I tell that story to my friends and I'm laughing about it, I'm having a beer, it's that original memory is suddenly lightened. It's associated with the fact that, you know, oh, I have all these friends who do love me, support me, we hang out and, and joke. And uh, 
and that's a confident part of myself that I'm associating with. So every single time that memory is uh, recalled, uh, it changes it. And the, the unfortunate thing is that a lot of times with these bad memories, we recall them at the worst times. So uh, we get triggered by another speech or a, a toast you had to give at the wedding that you weren't ready for. And then you, you remember, oh, yeah, this, this is a pattern. I also bombed that speech at SF State. I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible public speaker. Yeah, this and is going to hurt like hell. And, and it becomes worse, right? So we often uh, do the opposite, which is make uh, the memories worse and, and, and sometimes make them into a larger story than they need to be. Let's talk about there's, there's different types of fear, because I can imagine the guy that is glued to the 24-hour news channel and just getting fed this stuff like, oh my God, the world's going to end any minute. You know, Watch this commercial and we're going to tell you how. It's going to end after the commercial. And then there's that thing like when I'm walking at night through through a city and I, my my radar's up and I'm aware of my surroundings and, you know, somebody's coming around the corner. So is are there different types of fear? Like, is there a good fear and a bad fear? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fear is a great thing. Uh, it can, it's extremely intuitive. And, and fear is basically, it's a, it's arousal in the body. It's just, uh, I like what you said about feeling alert it, because, uh, you get a little hit of fear and you feel like awake, right? You're not going to go to sleep. Um, so, uh, when you are, uh, you know, say you're hiring somebody for work and you get a weird feeling about them and so, something seems fishy, that, that often can be an intuition, uh, that, uh, your fear, uh, center is actually picking up on something that maybe your conscious mind can't. Or when people, you know, people who get uh, attacked by sharks often say they, they felt spooked in the water beforehand, and that might even be an, an ancient mammalian uh, trait of being able to sense the uh, predator. So there, uh, there are times when you need to learn to, to trust fear, and um, but there are the, the vast majority of the time, and I, I distinguish them uh, by physical dangers and social uh, dangers, because most of the fear that we deal with, we live in such a safe, healthy world. I mean, the world has never been, especially in the U.S., we've never lived longer, we've never been healthier uh, than we are now, despite you know what you see in the media. And, uh, and so... Our, our days are composed of feeling a lot of social anxiety, like, oh, you know, I didn't get as many likes on Facebook or, you know, that girl didn't return my call or uh, did I do well enough on that project? And um, those fears are lying to us. They're just flat out. They're, they're making us healthy. They're giving us chronic stress. Um, they're holding us back from approaching the people that we need to to get ahead. Um, so we can almost just like flat out throw them away completely. Like your social anxiety, it's, it's there, but just, you know, continue to shatter it and, and train yourself to every day do something that is a small step to break through it because uh, it's not helping you. But yeah, physical fears, I mean, every, all those need to be assessed sort of one by one, um, you know, uh, going out to surf Mavericks is a perfect example. You know, you should be very afraid of doing that and you should make sure you train for 15 years of, you know, to before you even attempt it. And, and there's a re and that's good fear telling you to be cautious, to observe, to train. Um, and, and 
and if it, but it should be used as motivation uh, to train. You know, uh, the fear, I think when fear isn't helpful is when it just stagnates, you yeah. know, when you feel something and then you, and maybe it's a valid fear, but you still don't do anything. You still don't get whatever your prostate checked or something because you're afraid to know. It just turns you know, into that, procrastination. It's, it keeps you stuck in place versus motivating you. Hey, you know what? If I'm scared of my prostate being this way or that way, I need to do something about it. Right. Exactly. I mean, those, those fear is a motivator. That's what it's meant for. And so if it motivates us to positive action, it's great. And actually then it, it ceases to be fear. It becomes an empowerment. You know, you know, we all know this, like you're doing procrastinating and procrastinating because you're like, Oh, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to go to the doctor or whatever. You don't want to go to the dentist or you, that's classic for men. That's like my wife, my wife doesn't tell me to do, to go. I right. just don't. And, uh, <laughs> but it's like, once I do, I'm so glad cause it's like I've had a toothache for a year, you know? And, um, so the action I think is empowering, but, uh, thinking about our fears is not. You know, there's, it's interesting because in, in, I've noticed that what you talked about there, like when you, it's just arousal. And then these guys that I talk to, they want to feel more passionate in their life. Their life is flat. And mm-hmm. there's this bubble that they're living in and they don't realize that if they want to have this passion in their life, then fear or risk, there's some kind of, you know, I'm going to take a risk. I'm at, I'm at risk of losing something, whatever that is, whether it's big or real, or I might break my arm mm-hmm. or people might laugh at me. But when you're putting yourself out in that place, that's where you're aroused or that's where you're in that state of passion. Um, and I think that's where we can all unite here. Like, that's what we want. We want to feel more alive. Um, Robert Augustus Masters, for you listeners out there, check out that interview he was on here. He talked about fear just being um, excitement and drag. I always liked that one as well. So, um, tell us a little bit. There's some people, though, that are walking around and they're in this bubble of anxiety and worry, and they're convinced that that's what's actually keeping them safe. And I don't know if this we're talking mm-hmm. about a pathology here. Maybe we're maybe we're moving into that. But how can we? T- mm-hmm. How can the guy that's listening right now tell if he's fearing something needlessly? You know, I would just say uh, try as an experiment to to debunk your beliefs. I, I love this quote: "To do one thing you're afraid of every day." Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, and I, I've sort of decided to try to live by that. And it can often be something small: calling up a, an old friend you've had a falling out with, or just like talking to a your barista or something. Uh, but the, the number of things that open up from this never ceased to amaze me. I was, uh, I just one example. Uh, my first book I wrote, uh, was a surfing memoir and, uh, these guys had called me and they wanted to make it into a documentary film, but they were, you know, it wasn't like Oliver Stone was calling me up or something. These guys had made some great documentaries, but they didn't have a huge funding, uh, machine behind them. And so I said, sure, you know, if you guys can get the funding, I'll roll with it. And uh, I'd love that. And, but I, I basically wrote it off. I was like, they're not going to be able to get the money. It's, uh, film's too difficult. And, and, uh, they got a few, they got some money, but it wasn't enough to start. And I, uh, and I, it sort of validated my fears. It was funny. It was like, I was happy about that. Cause I wanted to say, see, it was too good to be true. I was right. And, uh, and so that's what 
I think a lot of these people are living in this bubble. They want to validate their fears. They want to say, these are my beliefs. And, and, and so I'm going to unconsciously find ways to prove why, why they're right. <laughs> you know, cause we want to be right. right. And, uh, and we want to be safe. And it wasn't in, right. And we want to be safe and, uh, and asking somebody, uh, making yourself vulnerable is not safe. And so, I started, when I started the fear project, I kind of started examining myself and I was like, you know, I haven't even tried to help those guys get money for their documentary. Maybe I, I could get some money. And so I, I had two friends who were, had, you know, would have that sort of money. And one of them was a, a guy who I talked about in the book, Uriah Faber, who's a famous UFC fighter. They call it California kid. And I don't get to see him that often. He's always fighting now and traveling around the world and stuff. But, uh, I texted him. I was just like, hey, you want to get involved in a film? He called me back right away. And he's our EP. He's our executive producer. And it was it was funny to me how many times that happened, uh, even with the Fear Project. Uh, you know, just getting over that hump of just being like, I have to, I have to go and pitch this now. You know, I have to... to uh, ask a publisher, I have to put it out there if it's going to get published. And a lot of times we, we stop before we even get to that point, you know, because we want to validate our fears. Um, and I think, so, you know, I just say, try it out, try, try with baby steps and see if you're wrong. Right. I like that. We got to be willing to be wrong first and foremost. And number two, we got to be willing to, to kind of stick our neck out there and, and maybe take a little, thump if, if it doesn't go our way. But like what you said, everything that we want, everything that's possible is on the other side of one little sweaty conversation here or there. I think it really is that. It's not that we have to go to school and get all this training. It's really just like, all right, am I willing to make this phone call? I'm willing to you know go talk to this person or you know cut the bullshit over here or there and go do this and that. Um, I think that's, that's awesome. Let, let's talk about... I, for, realize it or not, so many guys are, are terrified of appearing as they're weak, you know, they don't want to look weak. And I, I see this just so often. And, and I, I mean, they'll do really stupid life-threatening stuff in order to avoid looking weak. I know that when I've been out in the lineup surfing, I'll paddle into a wave I shouldn't have paddled into because I knew the pack was looking at me and I didn't want to look like a wuss. Um, right. But, you know, the same thing happens to some guy in a nightclub. Somebody says, what are you talking to me? And he's like, well, my girlfriend's here, my friends are here. So he takes a swing, you know, gets his ass kicked. Right. It's like, so, I mean, right. is this... This fear of weakness, or I guess it's probably underneath it is a rejection. Is, is this just left over from the reptilian days, or is there any real benefit to appearing strong in modern life? I mm-hmm. mean, do we really need to fear looking weak? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's obviously shifting hugely uh, culturally, but yeah, I think for you know the last 10 million years or so, man has been putting on these act, these sort of tough guy acts. And, uh, and so it's ingrained into us. It's not going to go away overnight, uh, just because, you know, we are told we can be more vulnerable now. So I, mean, I think first it's like, we can, uh, all agree that, you know, just being men, we all feel that we, we, we don't, we don't want to look weak. Um, but I think, uh, also, uh, recognize that that's keeping us from enjoying a lot of things and often pushing us into into silly situations. Um, with uh, with surfing Mavericks, for me, that was a huge debate. Was this about overcoming fear, or was it actually was I acting out of fear uh, 
because I wanted to be accepted to this, you know, elite pack of tough guys who I thought were really cool since I was 12 years old. Right. There's the fear, there's the fear of getting, you know, you know, drowning out there in Mavericks versus the fear of being rejected by this group, not being included. Yeah. And I think, you know, ultimately when I really examine it, I, I think I was driven as much by my fear of, of weakness, of looking weak as I was by, uh, a desire to overcome my fear of death or something out there. And I think men are driven by that, that fear of not being part of the, of the strong pack a lot more than we realize. Cause I didn't even realize I was being driven by that. But when, when you have to really examine yourself honestly and be like, why am I doing this? You know, and what, and and uh, it's amazing, I think, how much we are uh, driven by that as males and, and, and don't often admit it to ourselves and certainly not to each other. It won't be as satisfying if it is out of that desire, you know. It, I think the force is powerful with us. Yeah. So I think uh, that's something that men will be dealing with for many centuries to come. I like what you said about just being aware of and just asking that question, you know, what has me doing this? Is this really, you know, what I want to do to confront this fear or is this me trying to prove that I'm not a wuss? Yeah, I think it's important to to differentiate and, and, uh, and do the things that you are really passionate about. I mean, reflect and be like, what is it that is actually fulfilling to me in my life? And what am I doing out of fear? And sometimes the things that seem the most brave, we might be doing out of fear. And, and, you know, I'd say if that's the case, then we can dedicate our energy elsewhere. Be willing to let it go. Um, yeah. You talk a bit about some of the, you know, obviously we, we learn about fear in the book, but then there's, all right, well, then how do we become more courageous? How do we actually build this muscle? Um, and you talk about meditation. We've done shows on meditation here on The New Man in the past, but you talk about PTSD. I want to read a quote that I read off your website. Veterans mm-hmm. of the Iraq-Afghanistan wars showed a 50% reduction in their symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, after just eight mm-hmm. weeks of practicing the stress-reducing transcendental meditation technique, or TM. Uh, let's talk about what is, what is meditation doing to the brain there to basically rewrite how trauma and basically these, these stories that keep us playing small, what, what's meditation doing to rewrite those, those, uh, those memories in our head? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we don't know, to be honest, the, the science is preliminary. In that particular study, um, I should add, is we a pretty small sample study, but the, the, uh, military were so impressed with it that they're dedicating a huge amount of money to um, researching it further. But here are some possibilities. I mean, um, one, uh, when when we sit uh, still and breathe, we get into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our, our uh, relaxation uh, place in our bodies. And it's, it's where we're our bodies can heal and, and, um, and as, uh, and what happens, uh, in, when we stop and are quiet, uh, a lot of times these painful memories come up, but they're coming up in this case of meditation, uh, in a more tranquil place. So, uh, as it's memory reconsolidation again, uh, but, 
there this time the, that memory is being associated with this feeling of calm and this uh, parasympath- parasympathetic relaxation. So it's basically uh, sort of casting uh, a calm over some of that trauma. Um, so there's, that's one theory. Uh, two, there's actually, I mean, there was a study out of Harvard recently sh- sharing that about the same amount of meditation as that study reduced, uh, actually, uh, gray matter in the amygdala, which is a fear emotional center and increased it in the hippocampus, which is an area associated with learning. So there could be some actual, um, sort of like redistribution of neurons going on from certain parts of the brain to others. Um, but the, the, it's very clear, though, that meditation uh, has benefits and certainly for stress and anxiety. Um, but the, the mechanisms for that are kind of still being worked out. It's, it's not easy stuff to understand. Um, but uh, it's clear that it's helpful. And so if you're... And which I think is a great motivator. I've been doing meditation for a long time, but I would sort of, I think like a lot of people, it's a lot of time to spend on your, in your busy schedule. Um, and sometimes you start doubting that it's doing anything. So the science is, it's nice to know that it is doing something and, and something very helpful. Got it. Got it. And so, you know, and guys, you can learn more about meditation on the, on the website. There's tons of, um, I've even have a meditation product up there, but just, uh, go research, go find something, uh, listen to the, to the podcast we've done about meditation. It's free. You don't, I mean, this is like, you know, the, the free pill with no side effects other than good stuff for you. So, um, I, I, I just thought it was great that we also, I, that part about, you know, basically making the amygdala smaller, the amygdala is that part of us that's, you know, basically like, you know, always concerned about threats and, and are we going to die? And it's before we're even consciously thinking the amygdala is like, there's a threat, get out of the way. So uh, that's amazing that, that possibly there's a there's a you know redistribution of neurons from the amygdala to the to the other parts of the brain. I didn't know that. Um, Here's an interesting thing too, Trip. Just on that note, is that um, you talked about good fear. We talked about good fear and bad fear. And uh, Philippe Golden, who's a character in my book, Stanford neuroscientist, is uh, has found some amazing research that actually meditators they tend to uh, actually react to threats more with more alertness than non-meditators. So they, uh, if you see a tiger and you're meditating, you might actually react with, have a greater fear response, like more alertness. But here's the thing. As soon as the stimulus has passed, the tiger walks away, uh, the meditator goes down to baseline much faster than the non-meditator. So basically, they're stewing in the anxiety less. They're, uh, they're, not, they're reacting to what is present now. And that is really the ideal of where we want to get with fear because we want to be able to react to uh, the important stuff uh, with alertness, and then we want to let it go, right? Yeah. Jump back into being content or, or being with what is now. And, uh, and so that was like a huge insight for me when I saw that study because I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's where we want to be and how we balance this because we don't want to dull fear, but we also don't want to buy into it or stew in it when it's not helpful. And there's another cut in there too of like, I think so many of us are waiting until we don't feel fear to, in order to do something. Well, when, it, when, it, when the coast is completely clear, then I'll go for what I want. And, and 
life's not going to ever deliver that. We're always going to have some kind of threats, whether they're real or imagined or, you know, big, huge, uh, uh, scary monsters or, or not. But it's just a matter of, okay, so you have the stimulus and you do feel fear, but then how do you come back to and your, your more conscious grounded self and say, okay, what's my response? What do I want to do in this situation? Um, and so meditation, you're saying, is one of the ways that we train ourselves to, to, to train the mind to basically assess what's going on and then to make a better decision. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, uh, you're, you're not going to... Uh, you're not going to get that if it's something that's really worth doing and, and has, uh, a, a big, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of, um, if there's a lot of anxiety wrapped around it, you're not just going to get that clearance from the brain to say, Oh yeah, go ahead. Jump. Buddy. <laughs> it, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to feel it. It's only after that. That's your reward. Once you do it and you say, oh, that wasn't that bad. Even if it is getting rejected, you, uh, usually the experience is, uh, you know, oh, that rejection wasn't that bad. Uh, yeah. There, there was a, I had to do an article once on one of these pickup workshops where um, the San Francisco magazine, because people often complain that San Francisco is a bad dating city. So my magazine sent me to do, to this guy, Lance Mason, who teaches guys how to, uh, be better pickup artists. Okay. And I thought it was going to be like this. Uh, I wasn't too excited about going, but I went. And I <laughs> now, is this one of those things where you, did you have to dress and learn how to like dress like a Muppet and do, do magic tricks too? <laughs> no, but it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was along those lines. And, uh, and I had a girlfriend at the time and she was like, you seriously not going to this, but, uh, but I went and, and what we had to do is we had to go get phone numbers in Union Square. Okay. And his whole thing was like, you know, you're going to get shot down by, and a lot of the guys were so hopeless in the class. I was like, man, these guys are not going to get any numbers. But I was so shocked by <laughs> the fact that getting, going out and getting rejected was actually really empowering because just like the act of asking, of actually doing something rather than wondering was really empowering. And actually everybody in the class ended up getting lots of phone numbers and some people got some real dates. And it was uh not me because I had a girlfriend. But <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was a good it was a good uh, good lesson for me. All right. Well, let's let's kind of round it up. If there's one thing the guy can do today, what would he what what could he do to become more courageous? Just one simple thing that he could do to become more courageous. Just think of courage as a as a muscle and a muscle that you have to work out every day and. There's this great study about uh, snake phobics bringing their bringing a snake closer to themselves, basically, and uh, and the study shows that there's an actual area of the brain that we use to uh, to overcome fear, and like uh, any part of the brain, there's a use it or lose it uh, principle. So if you don't do something small um, every day just like exercise, uh, you're not going to get to the super courageous place <laughs> you'd like to be. And so, you know, it takes baby steps. You don't start uh, bench pressing 500 pounds. You know, you start start with the barbell and work your way up. And so I would just say start with one small thing every day, you know, make it an assignment. Those little things build up. 
just find that edge where it's like, oh, I could, I wouldn't really do that. That wouldn't, I wouldn't normally go do that. And okay, that's what you go do. Go just exercise that muscle just to get used to going up against that edge and feeling the fear and then going through it and coming out the other side. Exactly. And the other thing I would say is, is, uh, is make it an action, you know, exposure therapy is, uh, is the most successful therapy with fear. Um, people, you know, want to go and spend hundreds of dollars talking about their fears and I, I support that, but, uh, actually putting yourself face to face with that thing you fear is really the only way that you're going to get meaningful results fast. So, uh, so, you know, go and do it. And I think, um, make it fun. You know, that's the other thing is, uh, these, these sports and things that are a little bit scary are like such a fun way that we could just be kids, but we're still, uh, working on our courage muscle, you know, surfing, uh, running an extra mile, uh, longer than you usually do. Um, all those things, uh, are working on the courage muscle too. And they're actually fun to do. Don't forget to have fun doing it. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, I got to ask, I know that I just saw something come out today where you've got a book signing coming up in San Francisco and you've got a pretty um, uh, weird way of showing up to this book signing. Uh, And and is this going to be fun for you? Tell us a little bit about how you're going to do a little night swim uh, in the uh, San Francisco Bay to go to your book signing. Is that going to be fun? (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be really fun i think it's gonna be scary too and it honestly does frighten me uh my my friend jay patrick who's an ultra swimmer and character in the book does these 100 mile swims uh he's gonna let me come with him for a two and a half miler uh, we're gonna jump off the with one island and swim to the ferry building where the bookstore is but the book the signing starts at 6 30 p.m at uh book passage in the ferry building and we'll uh We'll be leaving just about sunset, so swimming through the dark, and the water's pretty damn cold in in January in the San Francisco Bay, but uh, that's what's going to make it fun. I mean, I I think it's these little things that you know you can pull off that you also know are going to put you at that edge that, uh, that... that make things fun, and so Ugh. I'm sorry, people can come along and, uh, and watch, uh, us come in and if you have a flashlight, bring it because we're going to need some help knowing where we're, where we are. <laughs> Good to hear. Well, where can we learn more about you and, and where can we pick up the book? Uh, just go to fearproject.net. Uh, there's links to, you know, Bungie you Noble, Amazon and the, and the indie bookstores there. Uh, there's a little trailer you can check out. And, uh, and uh, yeah, most of my articles and things are linked up there. Uh, so yeah, look forward to hearing more from people. And, uh, if you have any questions about fear, you can contact me on Twitter or Facebook. Very cool. Very cool. Jamal Yogis, the fear project, what our most primal emotion taught me about survival, success, surfing, and love. Jamal, thank you so much for talking today. I, I I'm psyched to read the book and, um, and learn more about what you got out of these experiences and, and from talking to these people. I appreciate you talking today. Thanks so much, man. This was uh, the most fun interview I've done. It's been a blast. There's so much more to The New Man than these interviews. So visit thenewmanpodcast.com and join the mailing list so you never miss another update. Thanks for listening.